Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm rolling, Conrad. Just rolling. I, I, I got and, a and not, not like I'm, you know, on drugs or anything. Not, not in the current use of the term rolling, but, you know, in the Tombstone version, the movie Tombstone. Doc, how the hell are you? I'm rolling, Wyatt. That's that kind of rolling. I don't, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think people say rolling anymore in regards to drugs. I mean, I could be no. wrong, but I feel like that was like 20. That was like when I was finishing high school. I think, I don't think that's well, a fuck. I'm old, you know, I'm, I am too, I'm, man. I'm, I'm realizing <laughs> that, that we're aging out, but I, I do want to sort of pick your brain about something. Cause it kind of caught me by surprise. I saw last week, what looked like you were, uh, I don't know, picking fights with CM Punk on Twitter. What's up with that? I wasn't picking a fight. I was responding. You know, Punk had some very um, edgy comments that I'm assuming were directed to me because they were in response to something that you and I said in 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 a very interesting conversation about current wrestling, WWE and AEW, but Evidently, he got a little case of the ass rash and decided to lash out on social media. And I love that shit. You know, I I love to counter punch. Sometimes I don't really wake up until I've been hit really hard. It's just my nature. Um, but, you know, he, he threw a punch on social media and I thought, well, this will be fun. So I responded in kind kind isn't the right word. I responded (laughs) and pointed out that, you know, this was a guy who came out, you know, and, and said that, uh, you know, him coming to, I'm paraphrasing it now, not quoting it. I quoted it on my tweet. So I'll, I'll let that stand. But I basically say, you know, for a guy that thinks he's a bigger deal than Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, you know, coming to WCW or Randy Savage. um, So far he's fallen flat on his face. And I, I, I published his quote, but that, I, I, I didn't, I didn't make anything up. I took his quote and I posted it and said, how's that working out? <laughs> Which it isn't obviously the guys probably in terms of a return on investment, this guy has to be the biggest financial flop in the history of wrestling. Eric, that's not true. You're only taking one metric and talking about ratings. You're not talking about all the merch and all the tickets and all the swag and 
there's more to life than just that TV rating, dude. Come on now. You know, oh, that. of course there is. Of course there is. But uh, how many millions of dollars in net profit and t-shirt sales is he doing? Nobody knows. We we're, we're responding to comments that are made, but are not backed up. You know, somebody could show me, you know, what kind of return on his investment Then I'll eat my words. And I'm happy to do that. I'm look, I'm wrong a lot. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm aggressive. I go out there. I try new things. I, I talk shit and I'm not always right. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm happy to, but let, let's talk, let's look at it. So far, all we get is, oh, he's selling but so much merchandise. Well, how much is so much? But Eric, and the by same. the way, once you, once the initial excitement of anybody, not just CM Punk, but anybody, you bring somebody in, you launch a new t-shirt, you launch new merchandise and you get a big hit and then it just kind of levels out. And so you come up with something new. And if you're really over, then you can, you know, continue to come up with new merchandise and, and fill the tank. But I don't know that that's true you for sure well here's what i know for sure you know you've uh boy you're gonna be mad at me on this one but here comes you've become dave Meltzer. Let, let me explain Ooh, that's 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 a hell of a way to start the morning comment. <laughs> when 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 we go back and we revisit comments that Meltzer had about hulk hogan in 94 and 95 pre-nwo he kept on and on and on about how there's no way WCW can be profitable here. They're going to have to sell this many in order to do that and blah, blah, blah. And whenever I read that off to you, you're like, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the value that this brought. It wasn't just about the pay-per-view buy rates. It was all the, mm -hmm. and he, and, and at the time, of course, WCW wasn't releasing all of their financials and you couldn't tell. So he was doing a lot of speculating. Isn't that kind of what you're doing right now about punk? Um, no, I, I I'm not. And I guess in a way I am, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that hit to a degree in the context of the conversations that we've had on this, on this show, which is what kind of was the catalyst for, for, um, punk's response on social media we're talking about television ratings we're talking about impact we weren't talking about the broader um spectrum of revenue opportunities and in terms of television within the context of television which is what we were talking about and and, and my response even this morning has been a horrible return on investment and i'm asking the question unlike dave Meltzer, i'm not saying you know he certainly hasn't had any impact on advertising. You know, only Turner Broadcasting would know that. You know, nobody in the AEW would know that because the AEW doesn't sell their own advertising. Um, Turner does. But in, the, in, the, in terms of his content, in terms of the context into, you know, Punk comparing himself to Randy Savage and, and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and the impact that they had on WCW, Versus Punk coming out and saying he he's a bigger deal than that. You know, again, it was a comparison to WCW. And I'm only talking about, again, ratings. In terms of ratings, he's fallen flat on his face. You know, he came out to a 1.129, I think, or 1.17 million people came out to see his debut on Friday night on Rampage. It's down to around 400, 500,000 on average. You know, Punk's premiere or debut on Dynamite you know, did like 1.29 million people. Eh, they came, they saw, no big deal, they left. Now they're hovering around that 900,000, which they've been doing for, I don't know, a year, year and a half, 
So when, when Punk comes out and says he's a bigger deal than Scott Hall and Kevin Nash coming to WCW, well, that, you know, that created a, a paradigm shift in terms of people watching wrestling, whereas Punk has created absolutely nothing. Now you throw in, yeah, but he's selling a lot of money in T-shirt sales. Number one, nobody, well, you and I know how much money Punk is making, but I doubt. Well, hang on now. We don't I, know. No, 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 no. People have said, well, we think it, I mean, but that's the boys talking, right? I mean, we've never seen the financials is what I'm, I've never no, seen. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. And yeah. that's a very good point. I stand corrected. I stand corrected. We don't know exactly what his contract says. We have an idea. Right. And, and the information that you're getting and the information I'm getting are coming from credible sources. Sure. Have, have no reason to blow it out of proportion or minimize it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's got an agenda here. Um, I just think, you know, if you're good, if, if someone's going to say to me, no, he's been a great investment because, you know, he sold this much, he's created this much revenue in, in, in merchandise sales, then that's a valid point. That is a very valid point. And I would be the first one to acknowledge it. And to your point about me being Dave Meltzer, um, or Dave Meltzer like, um, to a degree, yes. But keep in mind, I'm responding. I'm not out there publishing anti-CM Punk stuff every week trying to sell this podcast. I was simply responding to something that he said. And if, if someone wants to correct me, well, I will publicly apologize if I'm wrong. So please, Tony, let us know how much uh, revenue oh, come on now. is. is cr- Why not? It's not, it shouldn't be a tr- not a trade secret. Wait, he should reveal the inner workings of his business to to make Eric Bischoff happy on a podcast. Come on, now that's silly. No, he doesn't have to make me happy at all. I wouldn't if I was him. But if there's going to be an argument made when I make a statement that I believe, based on the information I have, and I, I think is probably accurate or close to it, that he's been a bad return on investment. Clearly, from a television perspective, no one can argue that. Not you, not Tony, well, that, not anybody. But but Eric, though, I mean, here's the thing: you got to appreciate the dude's gonna be a money printer on action figures and video games and t- so I know that you, last- you 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 say do you know that or do you hope that? Well, I, I know that he set the all-time pro wrestling tees record in the first 24 hours, and that that site has made a lot of guys in the business a handful millionaires. And he broke the all-time record in 24 hours. I mean, that that's not an accident. Uh, No, that's impressive as hell. Yes. So I'm just saying like, I I, I'm totally on the other side of this one with you, but I, I I have to give you your due buddy. You've been there, done that, which is why I find some of this interesting because man, you've been lit up on social media over this. You've, you've really split the audience, if you will, half are with me and half are with you, but Maybe not half, but you get the idea. There's two sides of this thing. Let sure me let, let me ask this though. There's a lot of criticism online that says, "Man, after they've brought you in all these times, you're gonna pop off like you, you had no problem taking the payday and yada yada yada." And you had maybe one of the greatest tweets in the history of Twitter. I don't mind burning bridges. I know how to swim. Uh, I I love the tweet, and I think you should frame it and put it on your wall. But I am curious. Why the about face? It does feel like, you know, on the one hand, you and I talk sometimes and we're, we're pulling for Tony and, and AEW. And 
I like the product. Uh, and then there's other times where you're just like dunking on it and it's hard for folks to reconcile. Can you bring some clarity to that? I'm not, I'm not dunking on it. I'm, you know, most of the conversations that you and I have on this show is about television and the business of the wrestling business, particularly television. And my issue and the whole thing that started this, by the way, my feelings about AEW and Tony Khan, my personal feelings have not changed Right from the first time I went there, from the first interview that I did with Tony Khan that you set up, helping him to pr- promote an event. Um, my f- personal feelings haven't changed. What I react to professionally, which comes off as dunking on them, is reacting to statements. The first one was when Tony Khan came out and said, if Ted Turner knew half as much about booking as I do, WCW would still be around. It still pisses me off. It wow. still does. It's totally disrespectful. It's here's Tony Khan living his childhood dream Wait. with his daddy's money. What's what? wrong with that? Let's be honest about it. Well, come on now. It's, this is just being spirited. I don't get where this is coming from. I mean, what did he say me, that wasn't look, true though? Ted Turner never booked wrestling. He made an investment. You're You're absolutely right. And and Tony has no idea what kind of booker Ted Turner would have been. The point that I'm making is to have a show on a network that's called Turner Network Television and suggest that the reason it's no longer on Turner and WCW is not around is because Ted Turner didn't know anything about wrestling, I find to be extremely disrespectful. I'm a fatally loyal, I'm loyal to a fault. And I respect people who've achieved great things in their life. And Ted Turner, in my opinion, is one of the last of the great media entrepreneurs. And for Tony Khan to publicly state that the reason WCW isn't around is because Ted Turner didn't know as much as Tony Khan does. I don't <laughs> about wrestling. I find that just to be so offensive and disrespectful. That was my, that's what I reacted to first. That was last fall. I think. Can we, can we agree that one of our first mantras on this show is context is King, because you just took that quote way out of context. No, I didn't. I took it word for word. Well, I, I get that, but I understand he said those words. I mean, we're not exactly quoting, but I understand the sentiment you're conveying. But what I am saying is it was framed in a way where Tony was trying to explain that he has more passion for professional wrestling than Ted Turner does. How could you argue? And, that's and, not and, the and case? I would disagree with that. <laughs> How would he know that? How would he know that? Here's here's let me let me try not to get overly excited. Because he goes to every single TV taping. Like he's so entrenched in the day-to-day operations of AEW, Ted Turner was not. That's just a fact. That that, that those are two separate things. Ted Turner built if you read anything at all about Ted Turner and how he started TBS and what his strategy was and why he felt wrestling was so important and for years fought off the people around him. He was chairman of the board. It was easy for him to do, but he was surrounded by people at the executive level who didn't want wrestling on TBS at all. And I'm talking about early on, like when it first launched, but Ted was so passionate about the professional wrestling industry and what it could do for Turner broadcasting that he told them all to go stuff it. And against 
everybody in his company, almost everybody in his company, he stuck with it. Is that not passion? Yeah, I agree. So again, to, to for Tony Khan to compare himself in any respect, any respect, passion. And by the way, I would venture to say Tony Khan's booking knowledge is up for debate right now oh, well, by, by a lot of people, not just me. A lot of people are questioning. Eric, um, this is, this is a version of you that is, uh, you are Mr. Positive. When I call you on the phone, how are you doing, man? Oh, fantastic. Connor. I'm just so grateful. I am positive and I am grateful. It doesn't mean that I don't have an opinion. And my opinion is not, I don't want to see AEW fail. I'm, we're talking about reality here. I want AEW to succeed. I want to, I want to eat my words. I want people to laugh at some of my tweets two, three, four, five years ago. Hell, I want to laugh at them. But here's reality. Reality is Tony, and this starts at the top down. Tony Khan, even early on, and I bit my tongue. I didn't react to a lot of the stuff Tony was saying because I also get, I was in that spot and you say things and you're trying to stir people up and you're trying to get attention for your product. I get all that. And I was cool with it. I didn't respond negatively to Tony's incessant, you know, comparisons, you know, to WCW and well, we're just not going to make the same mistakes WCW made. Well, okay, dude, that's, I, I didn't react to that. I didn't, I didn't sell it. I didn't respond. I went, okay, he's just trying I get what he's trying to do. It pissed me off. I didn't say it pissed me off. It, it irritated me, but not to the point where I felt I had to respond to it. I didn't respond to any of that negative stuff, in my opinion, negative, disrespecting what WCW achieved, disrespecting what I achieved and the people around me achieved. I didn't respond to that. I didn't respond until he dumped all over Ted Turner. While he's on TNT, it's called Turner Network Television, for crying out loud. I found that to be just ignorant. I just, I, I, I totally disagree. I didn't see it as him dunking on him at all. I, I, I thought well, that's because you didn't know Ted, you didn't work for Ted. You didn't, you, you weren't there. It's also because you don't know Tony. True. I'm just saying, True. I, I, I know that Tony Khan is a, you know, you've been to my house. You've been in this room. I, I'm like uh, the biggest wrestling fan. One of the biggest wrestling fans, you know, Tony's a bigger one and his passion. I mean, this is something I just, I don't know. You're exactly right. I don't know Ted Turner, but I can't imagine when Ted Turner was a little kid, he was fantasy booking wrestling, but Tony Khan was like, this is a guy who's made such a major investment in wrestling that, that you would sort of want to smack him around on the show is just weird. Like, I don't, I don't want to smack him around. Honestly, I don't. Well, just so you and know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't smacking him around. You know, my, my comments were directed at C, as, as a response to CM Punk. I wasn't trying to smack on anybody. I was reacting to something that CM Punk said that I was another example of, let's go back to CM Punk's you know, opening promo. Cheap heat had to bury Hulk Hogan to try to get himself over. Why? If you're that good, quit comparing yourself to other people and suggesting that you are more valuable or more important or in Punk's exact words, and I quote, a bigger deal. Don't do that. If you're a bigger deal, just go out and be a bigger deal. Don't, don't constantly try to, and, and the same is true with Tony. Don't, and he's not doing it anymore. I, I do want to acknowledge that. I don't hear Tony making a lot of the same 
you know, WCW references and how he's better and he's not going to make the same mistakes and constantly referencing WCW as a way to get himself over. Well, hang on now. People draw the natural, you got to appreciate Tony's in an unwinnable position on there because everybody draws the natural comparison to WCW for two reasons. One, because they are on a Turner station. Uh, and, and two, because they're competing with Vince McMahon and they're not competing with Vince. McMahon. Well, but a lot of wrestling fans think they are. That's my point is he is a, he is the first quote unquote viable alternative, mm-hmm. uh, to, to WWE. And I think that's, I mean, Lord, they used to make that comparison to WCW and TNA back in the day, because once upon a time, it felt like, Hey man, TNA might be doing something 20 years ago. Boy, we were all hopeful that, man, this could be the new, cause they launched 20 years ago next month. This could be the new big thing. This could be the new alternative. And it didn't wind up being the case. I want to remind everybody, we are watching an old nitro and something else you have in common with AEW. every now and again on a Turner station, AEW gets preempted, uh, in favor of some sports. And we're going to be watching when that happened back in May of 1997, so instead of a two hour nitro, it's a one hour nitro looking for a great mother's day or father's day gift idea. I was, and I found it at paint your life with paint your life. You'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say paint your life transforms your photos into a one of a kind, beautiful hand painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame and you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Just text the word weeks to 87204. That's weeks to 87204. Text weeks to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Uh, but I do want to circle back at least just briefly, uh, you know, I know that, that the Tony Khan, at least once upon a time held you in high regard. I mean, because of all that you accomplished in wrestling, but man, it, it does feel as if, uh, I don't know if I was a listener to this, I would say, man, Eric's just doing this, trying to do his old controversy creates cash gimmick. But you and I talked before we clicked record today and I get the vibe that that's not really it. And you're not intentionally trying to be mean spirited, but boy, I just don't think it's coming out. Right. Is is there something you can say to sort of put a bow on this for us before we move on? Tony, I wish you all the luck in the world. I really want your product to succeed to the people that are huge fans of CM Punk and and AEW. God bless you. I'm really, really happy that you have an alternative. If you've just not, found WWE to be your cup of cup of tea. And now you have an alternative and you like the style of presentation that AEW is presenting. Then I I'm all for it. 
know, I watch it, you know, and not religiously. I don't sit down and watch an entire episode every week, but I do drop in. If Mrs. B's not home and I have the TV to myself, more than likely I'm going to watch a whole two hour episode because I enjoy watching where things are going and how things are evolving as well as the action, you know, but I, in, Again, in the context of this, I, I have an opinion. If I'm asked a question specifically about aspects of television, I'll have a different opinion than perhaps you will or those fans of AEW or Tony Conwell. My, my re responses are not, I know they come off harsh because some of the criticism I get or some of the things I respond to, like CM Punk, <clears throat> are harsh to begin with. So it usually ratchets up a little bit. But it doesn't change the way I feel about Tony or AEW. I want it to succeed. And I, I will endeavor, endeavor, not guarantee, but I'll, I'll attempt to soften and, and maybe be more political in some of my responses. Well, I'm not asking change. you to soften or be political. I just feel like, man, I don't know. It just feels like if anybody's going to be pulling for Tony and AEW, who better than you? The guy who I am. Works. See, that's a. That's the part where I think that's not conveyed I, I on this show. Just huh? That message. That's the way that's the thing. Like I'm just having trouble even reconciling it as your friend, because when we talk in real life, you're, we're both really pulling for them and excited about it. And when you're here in town, we watch dynamite together. And then we come on the show yeah. and you're like, well, this sucks. And that's a, but I, I don't think you understand that the environment right now amongst wrestling fans online, buddy, it is so polarizing, you know, well, it's, it's everything, you know, but I mean, Twitter is especially, you know, we're talking about, I'm, I'm at least me, I'm res responding to Twitter. I don't do Reddit or any of the other yeah. stuff. <clears throat> and it is polarizing. I mean, I could wake up and tweet good morning and half the people go, well, I hope you have a good day. And the other half, the other half of the people wish that I, you know, die in a car crash. So it, it is what it is. And it's not just wrestling. It's everything is, is that way. And I, and I get that. Uh, it's, it's sad. But it, it, it look, how many people in America actually use Twitter? Uh, not that many. About 20%. Yeah. 22%. And it's a small little segment of the world, you know, and, but it's loud, right? It's so loud. It, it, it's like, you know, going to a conference and sitting there and wanting to listen to someone who you paid money to speak and having, you know, three jackasses back in the you know, back of the auditorium screaming and yelling and being disruptive. That's Twitter. But, um, and I respond to some of that. Some of it's fun to respond to. I enjoy it. I get a kick out of it. I had a ball yesterday. I just, I just <laughs> hate that, that we might be starting to get lumped into uh, just all the naysayers and negativity. Like I, whenever I usually, whenever I tweet something, it's about either busting my friend's balls, uh, promoting something we're doing, or more importantly, giving a high five to something I think is cool because mm -hmm. I just think inherently, as you said, Twitter is, can just get real negative in a hurry. And it feels like a lot of the wrestling content that's created these days is people watching the current stuff saying this sucks. That sucks. Why are they doing this? I'm not watching anymore. I wish they would do this differently. Almost nobody ever comes out and says, man, I really like that. They did so-and-so I even saw one of the, as you would call them quote unquote dirt sheet guys, but I don't like that phrase, but he came, but they came out and had a report that, okay, the backlash pay-per-view was good with some great matches, but it didn't tell us anything about what's happening for the next pay-per-view or SummerSlam. 
And it's just like, can we not just enjoy a show for what it is? Like that show is for the people who tuned in that day. And more importantly, for the people who bought their ticket, were they entertained? But the negativity was, was, is what's going to get clicks, I guess. So we leaned into, well, that doesn't tell us what the future is. Would Would you rather have a better idea of what's happening next month or have a good show tonight? And I would almost always pick, give me a good show tonight. And we'll let that show stand on its own. And I just don't want our show to be that. And it just feels like it's skewing way negative and almost below the line thinking. And it's like the most, the least Eric Bischoff thing I think we do. And I just didn't know if, man, you just, maybe there's something going on behind the scenes that you're pissed off about, or you got a burr under your saddle or whatever, but. No, no, I, I, I don't, I don't. And you know what? I'm, I'm not, I know you're not suggesting that I change my approach to this. And I certainly don't want to come off as negative. I know that I do from time to time. I'm, I'm. You know, I, I often speak before I think that's a flaw, the personal characteristic that I'm not proud of. And I'll try to be more cognizant of that, but I do want to emphasize, I want AEW to succeed. I think, and I have an opinion about what it's going to take to be successful. That is different than everybody else's. And I can probably present that point of view in a way that doesn't come off as negative as I know it does, unfortunately. Now, here's a little asterisk. When a guy like CM Punk decides to come out and take a shot at me and my ego and the fact that I'm an old head. By the way, I haven't heard of that one before, old head. Uh, It just means you have gray hair and you're old. Oh, fuck, I've had gray hair since I was younger than Punk, which, by the way, he's 43 years old. It's kind of weird for a guy 43 years old calling someone that's in the ring performing old. He's certainly not on Come the cutting on edge of the next generation of performers, but <laughs> nor does he claim to be. So let me make that clear. But I, w- when someone takes a shot at me, I will fire back, whether it's CM Punk or anybody else. And especially if I think I can have fun doing it and, and, and not just be mean and angry for the sake of being mean and angry. All I did was repost one of CM Punk's former quotes and, and asked him how it's going. Now that's entertaining. I wasn't, I didn't take a shot at AEW. I didn't take a shot at Tony. I didn't take a shot at any of the roster. I have nothing but respect for the roster. Anybody that steps into the ring and tries to make a living in what I think is one of the most difficult forms of entertainment there is, I have nothing respect for, whether I know them or don't know them. But if someone reaches out and takes a shot at me, I'm going to fire back. But it's not a reflection of what I think of Tony or AEW. I want them to be successful. I really, really do. I, I, I just do, but I'll try. I will endeavor to be a better person and not be negative while exposing or expressing my point of view. And that's a, that's a good criticism, Conrad. I appreciate that. I, I try to be better every day. And if I've got a weakness or a flaw or an ugly characteristic about the way I do things that I, you know, just you know, my wife points it out to me all the time, for God's sake. You know, I, and I'm, I'm open to that. So I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the critique. By the way, I threw it in my Google machine. Uh, what does old head mean? An older, uh, old head means an older person, especially one who acts as a leader or a mentor. And of course you once led the charge for WCW and, and this is your show. And Mr. Punk referred to this as an ego podcast, which I guess maybe it is because we called it 83 weeks, but in full, uh, disclosure, I picked the name of the show 
Um, <laughs> so, you know, listen, I, I, I think a lot of, uh, of Tony Khan and CM Punk and AEW, but I'm also not one of those who thinks we have to pick a side. I think everybody knows that my sister-in-law, uh, does a lot of stuff over yonder in WWE. And one of my very best friends and business partner is Bruce Pritchard. And he's helped captaining the ship there. And I think everybody listening to this knows I'm pretty friendly with Cody and he's one of the top guys and et cetera, et cetera. So Man, I got friends on both sides and I'm pulling for wrestling. I'm pulling for the boys and girls performing in it. And I hope that everybody gets bigger television contracts and makes more money and has more fun. And I think the real, you know, debate about who's winning and and who's losing. Well, the real winners in all of this are wrestling fans because we even get to have this discussion, you know, in 2018, nobody was talking this passionately about ring of honor or impact or new Japan. And I'm not saying that to be ugly about any of those brands. I'm just saying AEW has some momentum and they've motivated the base. And that's not bad for the folks who are in this industry. It's motivating to a young person who thinks, man, I could be on rampage. I can be on dynamite and they sign up and go to wrestling school. And maybe one day they are on dark or elevation. And that's a healthy thing for the industry. And I'm all for it. And I just feel like sometimes maybe last week, it feels like on Twitter, it was Oh man, 83 weeks is dunking on AEW. That's not what I want. I mean, I, I appreciated that we had a debate, but that's really what it was. It wasn't us arguing. It was, uh, I don't know, maybe a somewhat intelligent discussion, but I don't think that there are winners and losers in this AEW WWE battle. There's just fans who, uh, who watch each or both or neither. And I hope that those who watch neither pick one or both, because that's good for everybody on some level. If the WWE does better, it, it, it raises all boats, right? The old rising tides analogy. You know, you know, now that we've kind of gotten through this a little bit and, and I'm sure we're going to wrap it up here in a minute. I think the thing that, you know, how oftentimes when we talk about TNA and I say this often, when we go back and watch TNA, I try to catch myself because some of the things I say, so many of the things I say, the points I make can, I know come off negative, partly because of the way I present them and partly because it's a critique, it's a criticism. And people that were you know fond of TNA take it and, and they're offended by it. But one of the things that I always point out is the loss of opportunity mm-hmm. is more frustrating to me than anything else. And some of the things in the perspectives that I share are more out of concern for AEW than anger or negativity. Mm-hmm. I want I want them to grow so bad. Here's here's one. I want AEW to outperform WWE. I want them to actually be legitimately competitive. I want them to grow probably not as bad as Tony or maybe the people that work there or even really hardcore fans of the AEW, but I want so bad for AEW to be a legitimate competitor or they don't even have to be a competitor. I want them to have 2 million viewers a week. I want them to have 3 million viewers a week. I want them to do, do better proportionately because I know television has changed. I want them to do better proportionately than WCW ever did. I honestly want that. 
for the same reasons that you do, because I don't want the wrestling business to go away. And I don't want the wrestling business to depend solely on WWE. There's a, you know, I talked to Bruce Pritchard yesterday. I told you that before we started, I have a lot of friends. I, I respect the hell out of Vince. No, we don't socialize. I don't say we're friends, but there's a lot of respect there. And I do have quite a few friends in, in WWE, but guess what? I want AEW to outperform them mm-hmm. because that will make WWE better. It'll be, you know, AEW fans will, will, will enjoy that. That's what I really want. But when I see things within the context of a discussion about what's, what's working and what's not working, some of that is going to come off negative, but it's not because I don't want them to succeed. It's because I do. Well said, I'm, I'm glad that we've established today that you, uh, do in fact not have a hard on, uh, for AEW, but if you're looking to get one boy, welcome to the Bluetooth <laughs> studios. That was coming. I saw that transition coming before you even said it. <laughs> and without further ado, Eric, I think you and I should watch nitro. Uh, this Let's is gonna, good. This is going to be a really fun show. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this. It's season three, episode 20. So if you haven't already pull up Peacock, it's season three, episode 20 which is May 19th, 1997. All right, so Eric, without further ado, I'm going to give us a countdown, and when I say play, we'll press play. Are you ready? I am ready, sir. Here we go. In three, two, one, play. WCW has defeated the NWO. Oh, baby. This is the biggest moment in WCW, and you've witnessed it at Slamboree. And it's just the beginning. So we're one night removed from Slamboree 1997. By the way, if you want to go revisit that show, please watch it along with Tony and I. It's what Tony and I did last Wednesday on what happened when Tony Schiavone's podcast that comes out each and every Wednesday. It was Ric Flair's return to Charlotte as he teamed with Kevin Green and Roddy Piper to take on the NWO. Let's track it here. Ladies and gentlemen, Slamboree. Giovanni, Larry Zabisco, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Ladies and gentlemen, join me in welcoming a man hot on a field of victory down in Charlotte, North Carolina last night. Former 13-time WCW heavyweight champion of the world, the nature boy, Rick Flair. How cool is this, man? One night after his return on pay-per-view, Mean Gene opens the show in Asheville with the Nate. Here we go. From Charlotte, North Carolina, here into the streets of Asheville. The celebration's still going on. You and WCW successful at Slamboree last night. Mean Gene. Thank you. We are live. In Asheville, North Carolina. And last night, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the greatest thrill of my wrestling career. That's probably an understatement, Rick Blair. I erased self-doubt 
I erased a difference in philosophy with the big boys from the NWO. I was able, by the grace of the good Lord, to walk that aisle. Amen. Woo! With the great Kevin Green and the hot rod. And I promise you that instead of putting this to the side, I know now I want back it. What is this? What is, what is going on here? Give me some help, please, guys. What is happening? What is this? interview time has been allocated to the danger boy who do you think you are let me explain something to you for a quick second first of all you guys beat no one last night in our opinion and it's a fact the wrong guy was in the ring second thing I want to talk to you about in front of everybody Richard. Is this. <laughs> I heard you say, I don't know about you, Nash, or you, Hall, but you know you can take me. It's more like the other way around, Flair. After last night, being in the ring with you, I know I can take you. I dominated you. And if you got the guts. He's got them. Because we call the shots. We can do it tonight, right here and now. If you got them, baby. You got a pair of them. I don't mind telling you, Ric Flair. You know, I'm going to say it one more time. Hall, Nash, I do not know about for sure. But you, my friend, are like a fly in the ointment. And in Asheville, I am going to kick your flyweight ass, pal. Oh, hey, 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 we got action. Watch out, we got action over here, too. Gentlemen, hang on here now. Wait, <laughs> six is running out of here like the coward he is. Big talk from a little man. Dude, how great was that segment? It was so good. It was so effective. And I want to point out two things before I forget. One was the way we opened up the show. Mm -hmm. Not to go too far back here. We're only a couple minutes in. But um, typically we open up with that really cool open that we used to have. But this time we opened up with a clip from Slamboree. Little thing. But, man, that, a great way to hook the audience. I don't know whose decision it was, but whosoever it was, it was a great idea coming off a of pay-per-view. That's number one. Number two, I often brag about having the best hair in the wrestling industry. Um, I'm wrong. Rick, hair, Rick, Rick Flair had to have had, over an extended <laughs> period of time, the best hair in the wrestling industry. He looked great there, and he was having fun. It was great to see. And here we go. Prince Ikea is out and here comes William Regal. I'm sorry, Steven Regal, who's our world's television champion. And I personally 
Hope he stomps a mud hole in Prince Ikea and walks it dry. Look at him giving the business to the fans on the way to the ring. What a great television character Regal was. Was he not? Great television character and one of the most interesting people you'll ever have an opportunity to sit down and talk to when it comes to wrestling. Not only his time in WCW or his time in even you know WWE. Now, of course, he's prominently featured in AEW. But to talk about you know him growing up in England and traveling the world at such an early, early age, we're talking about 18, 19 years old. And some of the experiences that he had, I really think Steve, Steve Regal is one of the most interesting people in, in the podcast interesting industry today. Great storyteller, amazing experience that none of us have. None of us have. You know, I, I was excited about Jeff Jarrett, you know, coming on board with you. Yeah. Because Jeff grew up in the wrestling business. He was a kid. He watched it around, you know, as a kid growing up. It was all around him, and he saw that evolution. Fantastic stories. And he still is so interesting to listen to. But Steve Riggle brings that same, you know, perspective only internationally. Fascinating. If you get a chance, check out his podcast. It's great. I want to mention, uh, Regal won the title, uh, the night before from Ultimo dragon and, uh, Meltzer would say this about the match we're watching out now is Regal's really giving the business to Prince Ikea quote, Steve Regal kept the TV title beating Prince Ikea in two minutes and 25 seconds of a one-sided squash. So the Prince protection plan is over with the booking change. Uh, we're going to talk about that booking change because. Well, it involves our old pal, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but Regal here is a totally different performer than almost anyone in wrestling in this era, but his style really stands out. Would you agree? Oh, no, no doubt. And again, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I sat down one morning while we were all in Dallas and, and Mr. Regal, as I refer to him out of respect, uh, joined me outside and while I was drinking coffee really early in the morning. And we got into about an hour, hour and 20 minute, you know, conversation about how he learned and who he trained under. And God, I just can't, I, I mean this sincerely. I just can't overemphasize what an interesting take uh, Mr. Regal has on the wrestling industry. It's fascinating. He grew up completely differently. He was exposed to a completely different product than we have been here in the United States. And he brought that style with him. You know, I, I used to love watching Regal work because he reminded me so much of Billy Robinson. I grew up as a fan before I ever got into the wrestling business, a huge fan of Billy Robinson, who was from the UK, because Billy brought that style. He was more of a technical wrestler than even Vern Gagne was in many respects, or at least he brought a different type of a scientific style, as they used to call it, um, to, to the table. And, and Regal has all that and more and psychology really understand psychology R really a, just a wealth of perspective and information. You guys had tremendous wrestlers with your quote unquote undercard belts. So Regal here is your TV champ. Dean Malenko is your U S champ, man. I'd put that up against just about anybody else at the time. As far as in ring performers, just some ass kickers. Once the bell rang, no doubt. And believable, incredible. And credible, not incredible, but very, very credible. You believe. Check this move out from they Mortis. Believe. Mortis has Glacier on the outside here, rides him down onto the steps, almost like a famous or onto the steps. And then we would see, believe it or not, the debut 
of Ernest Miller. Uh, of course we see James Vandenberg slapping around Glacier as wrath holds him back and Mortis kicks him right in the middle of his gut. And all of a sudden here comes this guy in like street clothes, just kicking the shit out of everybody. It's your old pal, Ernest Miller. How do you remember this happening where Ernest Miller became to be a part of WCW as the, as the legend goes, he taught Garrett karate and you thought, Hey man, this could work. Is that really it? Well, it kind of, sort of, uh, uh, Mr. Miller was, uh, Garrett's karate instructor. And I used to take Garrett to karate or, you know, Mrs. B did, but often I would bring him in and watch him and support him. And I would watch Ernest and the way he taught. And I really, really appreciated him as, as a karate instructor and an athlete. And then we got to talking, of course, eventually, and Ernest invited me to come into a school and train with him. And I said, well, okay, it's been a long time, but I'll do that. And I went to the school. Uh, Ernest Miller used to teach for a guy by the name of Joe Corley. Joe Corley was a PKA, uh, this is before UFC, PKA champion for a long time. And I used to compete in a lot of tournaments that Joe would promote in Atlanta. He had a big tournament called the Battle of Atlanta, which was like the Super Bowl for amateur uh, kickboxing and karate. Anyway, long story short, I trained with uh, Ernest and some of his black belts and was really impressed with him. And we got to be friends. And eventually, out of that friendship, I took Ernest out to lunch one day and said, dude, because I learned what a great personality he had. I, I got to know Ernest a little bit more than just being my son's instructor or someone that I trained with or worked out. Well, I won't say I trained with him. I worked out with him. Um, and he had just such a big, big personality, and he was so funny and entertaining naturally. I said, dude, you got to get into the wrestling business. With your athletic skill and, and your abilities and your personality, you need to get into the wrestling business. And he laughed at me, not laughed at me, but he chuckled and it's like, man, I don't ever want to do that stuff. That's not me. I don't want to do that. I said, Ernest, you, you would get over. You'd be huge in Japan, huge in Japan. And if it, it took me about a month, two months, maybe not two month or six weeks of just hammering them to just get them to try it and finally got them interested. And here we are. And we're talking over something that was really a nitro specialty. Uh, another great international European performer, Mr. David Taylor. He's going to be in a losing effort here to Masahiro Chono, who was a big dog on deal in Japan, uh, in that era. And for the next decade or so, I mean, he's one of the tippy top guys and here he is in the second match on nitro. And you've had a lot of talent out here just in these first two matches. I mean, just with Regal and Chono along much less the enhancement talent. I mean, don't get me wrong. Dave Taylor is a badass anywhere you drop him and Prince Ikea, you know, I have a little fun with him, but <laughs> he had his place. He did. And I think, you know, this is another example of the effort back in 1997 to make nitro more of an international type of a show. So it didn't feel like it was just a domestic U S product. Masahiro Chono, of course, with new Japan, you know, back around this time, New Japan was putting 60, 70, 80,000 people in the Tokyo Dome for their big shows, especially on New Year's Eve. So Chono was at the top of the list there and great performer. He could adapt. Now, it wasn't so hard for Chono to adapt to, to Dave Taylor here because Dave Taylor was pretty stiff and he could go. And that's what Chono was used to. But Chono had the ability to adapt to the American style um, much more so than some of the other you know, performers out of New Japan, which is why we use them as often as we could. And Tono went on to become a 
<laughs> he made a lot of money off the NWO in Japan. I think he still is, by the way. I want to mention at the end of this, uh, we see Sonny Ono, who just the night before turned on Ultimo Dragon and cost him the TV title. He's going to come out and tell Chono that he's got a nightmare surprise for him next week. It's going to be the great Muda on Nitro. Man, I don't think enough people talk about this, but man, the international flavor of Nitro here, Dave Taylor, William Regal, Masahiro Chono, unbelievably great Muda. That's cool stuff. It was fun. It was really fun. And again, I, and part of it was personal and I had so much fun working with new Japan and Antonio Inoki and more than anybody else, Masa Saido, uh, who I worked with very, very closely. We became very, very good friends. Uh, so much so that, you know, new Japan flew me and my family, my kids, uh, to Japan for an event one year and took us up into Japan, out into the country and stayed at what, they call them onsens, but they're like ancient, you know, uh, hot spring spas up in the mountains in Japan. And my kids just had such an amazing experience at an early age because of the relationship with New Japan. And I cherish that. So do my kids. We still talk to this day about it. I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to go to back to Japan for a, uh, a memorial for Masa Saito and I was there with his wife, Michi, and uh, it's just such, still is a, one of my favorite memories of, of my time in, in Japan. I want to mention during the commentary, we heard Mike Tanay say that a major star would be making his WCW debut on June 30th in Las Vegas. That wound up being Raven. Uh, let's hear uh, Sonny Ono throw the challenge down. Oh, I'm not so certain he doesn't take a little dough on the side under the table. I'm talking about Sonny Ono. Sonny Ono, you were watching the great Chono very closely there. He's now a member of the NWO. As you witnessed last night, I can make or destroy a champion. And Chono, I'm a businessman and not a fighter. But you have a debt to pay with me and all New Japan. Next week, next week at Nitro. I have your worst nightmare, and you will have a match with him. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. You've got to be more specific than that. What the heck is he saying? He wants to know who. No, you're going to sweat. You're going to sweat just like what you did to me, and you'll wait till next week. You'll be your worst nightmare. Sonny, Sonny Ono, his worst nightmare. Can you be a little more specific? No, I want to make him sweat. Masahiro Chono. <laughs> Getting a promise here from Sonny Ono that next week he's got a surprise for you. I this is so fun. A break. Stay tuned. We've got more. Dude, I loved Sonny's little laugh. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, he's, he's like a caricature of an evil Japanese dude. You know, he's just so, he loved that. He, he still does. Oh, JJ. JJ. The committee convened to consider the petition by referee Nick Patrick for reinstatement to world championship wrestling. He's in my office. We allowed Mr. Patrick to appear in person to plead his case. I see that covered wagon. And based on the comments that he made, based on his impeccable past record, and especially in light of his actions last night at Slamboree, we have made it official that effective 9 a.m. this morning, Monday, May 19th, Nick Patrick is officially reinstated. However, he will be on a probationary basis for the first 30 days, and we will review uh, all of his actions during that period of time. And we certainly hope that Nick Patrick 
will continue to show that he is deserving of this second chance. Back so I like that. We, that had a, a feel of realism, an air of realism. This has been a good show so far. I want to remind everybody, this is a one hour show. Was that Peggy Lathan? My goodness. Oh, wait, we're back. Convened to consider the petition by reference. What happened right there? I'm not sure. That's weird. Patrick to appear in person to plead his case. And based on the comments that he made, based on his. Wow. They, they, what a little snafu here. This is, huh? I don't I think WWE screwed this up when they edited the show. No kidding. Uh, anyway, I don't know. I'm just making that up. Come on. I don't know. This is weird. It is weird. I want to mention it's not just Raven showing up on June 30th. Uh, it's also Kurt Hennig. Uh, the observer would say Kurt Hennig is now expected to start with WCW in June. There are all sorts of legal claims on Henning that have to be sorted out. Even though Henning's WWF contract expires right around now, the WWF is claiming they still have him under contract. using the same logic Pancrase used for Ken Shamrock after the date on his contract expired. The WWF claims WCW tampered with contracted personnel. And since Henning no showed a pay-per-view that the WWF booked him on, he was technically suspended and they believe him being suspended means his contract doesn't expire until he comes back. Um, so this is, you know, they want him to fill the rest of his contract. WWF has an argument that he's agreed to perform a minimum number of dates. Uh, and we've heard contracts like this in the UFC where it would be a number of dates and time. Uh, so you've got to fulfill both of those Were you, how big of a headache was this for you behind the scenes, clearing Kurt to come work for WCW? I mean, obviously it was illegal challenge and you know anytime that you've got legal challenges especially with wwe because you know jerry mcdivitt was and is an amazing attorney and a very aggressive one turner broadcasting on the other hand were like super passive and didn't want any conflict didn't want any challenges or just wanted to get along go along to get along kind of thing so it was a it was a hassle. I wasn't involved in it. I didn't get involved with legal things. That went to the legal department at Turner Broadcasting. We had our liaison in the office, either Diana Myers or Nick Lambros, would, who would interface on our behalf. But for me, it was like, just get it done so we can promote and book. And it was a hassle, but not, not to the point where I was pulling my hair out, clearly. <laughs> I want to mention at the top of the show is we're seeing uh, Mr. Rotunda take on Scotty Riggs here. And Rotunda's not wearing an NWO shirt. He's wearing... A WCW logoed shirt with the Ghostbusters uh, around it, which is kind of funny. Uh, chat me up though about the real life circumstance and situation with Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, and the members of the NWO from Slamboree. Of course, we're talking Hall Nash and Six. Uh, Meltzer would say on the build to that show. At this point, even though it appears they are shooting, both sides pretty much know ahead of time about what's going to be said in the interviews, building up the six-man. It's one of those deals where it started off with the guys out of control, and some would say they still are. But now they're trying to use it for business. The only concession is that Hall Nash and Six are not supposed to call Flair and Piper old. Um, do you remember these guys having a real heated real-life issue here? You know, I... Yes. In general, of course, you know, Flair and Piper were sensitive. To, they were older and you know, there's a way to get heat in, in, well, I guess back in 97, you know, 
the way that most people, and especially guys like Flair and Piper, believe that you got heat is not by telling the truth, but by lying. And when you point out that somebody's old and they clearly are older, um, that's not really heat. The kind of heat that Rick and, and Piper felt was productive. And I, and I think they were right. So it was an issue, but it wasn't like heated. There were no, it was just a difference of opinion and it escalated. It, I'm not going to suggest it was just, you know, passing conversation. It, it, you know, Rick and, you know, I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, Rick better than I do brother. And, and Piper, once he made up his mind and he was hot about something, he could get a little aggressive, but it wasn't probably as bad as people made it out to be. Are you suggesting that Ric Flair can be emotional and volatile? Well, that's been my experience. I don't know about How yours. How dare you <laughs> describe him perfectly to a T. Uh, of course, Nitro here, big sunset flip off the top. Oh, but that damn dirty cheater. Come on now, Nick, you got to break that. Now, up. But look, Nick Patrick, man, he's calling it right down the middle. Look at that. Now taking matters into his own hands, kicks the arm off the rope because wall street was cheating and now proving the point that he is a credible, legitimate and trustworthy referee. Did you see the crowd pop and jump up to their feet? Yeah. I mean, these are great individual performers, but you guys had not necessarily had them in the main events, but they reacted to that in a big way. And that tells you this unbelievable referee story is connecting storytelling wins again, Eric. Yes, it does. It always will just saying, I'm not being mean. I'm not being aggressive. I'm not even mentioning anybody's name. Okay, I will. By the way, going back to what we were first talking about, nobody ever busts my balls when I'm critical of WWE, do they? Nobody reacts to that. And I have been, still am, to this day. So in this case, I will say, because you're referencing the story, story will always win at the end of the day. I want to mention Nitro has 4,330 fans paying $69,324 for the show. Uh, of course, the night before was Ric Flair's return to the ring after eight months off in Charlotte, and it was a stone-cold sellout. But this is not a sellout, uh, which has to be a little disappointing. But check out this race car right up front. Been following it for a number of years, and ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure, Valvoline, of course, being a big part of WCW Monday Nitro, to introduce to you a man who is on a torrid pace on the NASCAR circuit. Please welcome to Nitro, Mark Martin. Wow, I forgot about this. He Listen, I'm not really a, a huge, uh, race car guy, but this is kind of a big deal if you're in that business and it's obviously great for the sponsor. Let's track it. They're hanging from the rafters here tonight. Mark, great to have you aboard. Great for our association, WCW Motorsports, Valvoline, and of course you. Now, Mark, obviously we're taking a look at this automobile. That's gotta be part of the reason you're here tonight. Well, it is. Uh, Valvoline and I are going to give away this car. Ho, oh, oh, ho, wait a minute. You're going to give this car away? How? Well, all you have to do to sign up is go anywhere that they sell Valvoline, and you can register to win between now and June 25th. Or for more information, you can call 1-800-TEAM-VAL. And you know, uh, next to NASCAR, I'm a big WCW fan, so I want one of you guys to win this car. How about that? Mm -hmm. And this, this weekend, I'm going to go down to Charlotte and win that race for all you WCW fans. Wait a minute now. 
Mark Barton, Charlotte, North Carolina, the home of the Venture Bowl. Rick Blair, is that okay with you? It's a great thrill to be out here with Mark Martin. Mark, I want you to stick around long enough to watch me run six into the wall, brother. Woo! WCW Motorsports, WCW Mark Martin, win this car. Stay tuned. We are live on TNT. This is WCW Monday Nitro. Listen, I know that that's not exactly what wrestling fans want to see, but that's as about as good of sponsored content as you can put on a wrestling show for an advertiser. Is it not? It was, it was really phenomenal and hats off to everyone involved in, in WCW who was able to make that, um, sponsorship and that in-ring programming uh, happen because that was a big, big, big deal. Not only because it was Valvoline and which, which is a great sponsor to have, but, but because as we've talked about before, um, from a strictly business shameless plug point of view that opened the door to a lot of other sponsors. It made it okay to promote inside of wrestling. And that was a big challenge at the time. Wrestling was just not a safe place uh, for advertisers. Most of them were, were afraid of it. Um, but getting a sponsor like Valvoline and have them and having them integrated into the show in such a powerful way, because in 97, 98, man, NASCAR, it, it still is, but was really emerging as a big damn deal. And uh, it, I can't say enough. It, it changed a lot of things for WCW. I, uh, I thought it was very well done. Uh, and it's important to just draw the comparison NASCAR in this era was a pretty big deal and NASCAR has, has, has grown and attracted over the years, a lot like wrestling has, but this is the first time that NASCAR really started to push into the mainstream in a major way. Uh, this is their, you know, early eighties or NWO, whatever one of those heights of wrestling periods were. Well, this is sort of that for NASCAR where, you know, in the beginning or the middle or what have you. Uh, so it's a big opportunity there. And there's probably a lot of cross pollination, especially in a market like the Carolinas, right? Well, not only that, but I think if you look at the demos and the, the psychographics, if there is such a thing, the demographics, there's just a lot of crossover between NASCAR fans and wrestling fans. You know, it, it, it's more obvious today. I think, I mean, today, you know, so many people are wrestling fans. You know, you look at the crossover and the, you know, pop culture crossover between wrestling and, 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 and again, pop culture stars and, and mediums. This is where it, it really began to take off. Now we kind of take it for granted because everybody's accepted that wrestling's kind of cool pop culture stuff. It's not unusual anymore, but back then it was. So we're seeing a clip. Did you, from, see, did, did you see my hair, by the way? It, it was glorious. And this oh segment from the night before. Guys, go out of your way to watch this. DDP and the Macho Man had a segment in the middle of Slamboree that I think you could put up against almost any segment of wrestling. Uh, I mean, just it felt real. It was fantastically executed. It was an all-timer, but I don't think it gets talked about as much because it didn't happen on Nitro and it happened on a pay-per-view. But this is so good. He's busting Macho Man's balls, essentially saying, I'm surprised you're here. And not at Hogan's house, kissing his ass and washing his car. And of course, Macho Man gets uh, all fired up from that. Huge reaction from the crowd. Just a phenomenal segment. Really at the height of the NWO and when DDP is becoming the man. And you can see he's attacking 
uh, with a crutch here, but watch as a piece flies off. Do you see that? It ricocheted yeah. right off the rope. We just talked about that with Diamond Dallas Page on his podcast, DDP Snake Pit, where he joins Jake the Snake Roberts every week on camera. It's available anywhere you enjoy podcasts. But we talked about how nervous he was, and he remembers almost in slow motion as that crutch broke, and he's thinking, man, this is my first big push. I'm finally in my big-time angle. I'm on a page. And I'm going to kill a fan. <laughs> and it breaks, and it starts flying into the crowd, and he can just feel it all slipping away. But as he calls it a God moment, Somehow God's looking out for him. That piece hits the rope and ricochets back in. If you did it a hundred times, it would never happen that way again, but it did here. Uh, but what a cool segment that was. Uh, Slamboree is really a, an underrated pay-per-view in that regard. I want to recommend everybody go out of their way to see it. The, the roster so loaded. It is a little rare that, you know, we don't have sting and we don't have Luger and we don't have Hulk Hogan, but we didn't need it for that to be a really, really good show. And the rest of the audience agreed. Let's just take a look at where we are business-wise. Uh, in 97, uh, the first quarter of 97, the WWF is averaging 5,718 fans. WCW is averaging 4,955. The WWF has raised their ticket prices, so they're averaging $87,956 at the gate. Meanwhile, WCW is averaging $61,027 at the gate. Uh, WCW is actually selling out a lot more often though, than the WWF. Meanwhile, when it comes to cable ratings, your average cable rating is 2.2 for WCW and the WWF is 1.43. Uh, your average pay-per-view revenue for the WWF is 1.89 and your average pay-per-view revenue for WCW is 2,060,000 bucks. So you guys are certainly winning the ratings battle. They could argue that they're making more money on the house shows. You're making more money on the pay-per-views. This is what made the Monday night war so fun. Was it not? It sure was. It, it, it was every day was fun, man. Every day in the business, every day in my office. Now it was difficult. It was challenging. There were moments I was beating my head on hard, sharp objects on a regular basis as a result. But it, 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 by the time I got my car to go home every night, I was having a blast. It was a fun, fun time. And it was that head to head competition that elevated the entire industry. All right, Eric, let's press pause right now. I'm at 3242. That's 3242. But let's press pause because we want about we want to talk about something important, Eric, and that's saving money. I'm sure you've heard that well, things have been a little topsy turvy this year. Looks like lumber prices are falling, new home build starts are slowing. The Dow has been all over the place and some days not in a good way but interest rates are on the rise and I'm routinely fielding questions from some of our listeners and boy, this crowd before we took a break was going nuts for the Steiner brothers. They're taking on a pair of horsemen who frankly can't get along, but they're trying Jeff Jarrett, double J. He says he's a horseman. I'm not sold on that. And uh, no, horseman, no real horseman would wear that ridiculous gimmick to the ring. I'm sorry, Jeff. I love you. Your wife is amazing. Your son, Cody is great. There's a lot of things I could say that are really positive about Jeff Jarrett. His ring attire is not even in the conversation. It's ridiculous. Can you imagine for a minute if Arn Anderson came to the ring wearing those Venetian blondes? Oh my goodness gracious. It's just ridiculous. What about what would Ole Anderson or Tully Blanchard say about those Venetian blondes? <laughs> Ole, oh my gosh. That's funny even thinking about. That cracks me up thinking about that. <laughs> I want to mention. I, I just don't, I don't know where that came from, 
why he thought it was a good idea. I know that he's a heel and he wants to get heat, but there's a point where you cross the line between heat and just being ridiculous. And I think that's one of the problems. The reason why there's so much controversy as to whether or not really Jeff Jarrett was ever a legitimate horseman has nothing to do with his abilities or his skill. Oh, no, or what no, he brought I to agree. The ring. It has everything to do with what he wore. Well, and just to his approach to being a heel. I mean, he was a different type of heel to me than the rest of the horsemen. Uh, but the horsemen at this point, I don't think are even heels, but boy, Jeff Jarrett is uh, his old pal from Memphis here, Scott Steiner, man, I don't know that I'd want to take that ride. How about we not and say we did. Yeah. No kidding. My, you know, my, once you're up there, once you're up on his shoulder, on Scott's shoulders, once he's, he's not moving around and bouncing around on the ropes. Once you're in position, it's not that big a deal. But man, that first, you know, 15, 20 seconds before he gets launched, that's got to be some scary shit. Uh, Meltzer actually liked this too. Uh, it goes three minutes and 35 seconds. And, uh, he says, this was all actually pretty good. Uh, and, uh, man, look at the pop that Rick Steiner got, you know, I asked this the other day to, uh, to Tony Schiavone when we were watching some old Steiner stuff, I think from this era. Yeah. Slam Marie. If you had to, now obviously you don't want to clearly, we know you don't want to. But you had to take on a Steiner brother. Would you want to try Rick or Scott? I could outrun them both. You know, that, that's that, a great that, answer. That'd be, that'd be it. There's no, there's no choice to be made there other than to run and get away from the situation. There's n otherwise you're just, ugh, ugh. I would go with Rick because I think Rick would, if I like absolutely like locked in a room, no way out. And somebody said, okay, you got to pick one Steiner brother. You're going to be locked in a room. There's no way out. We're going to, we're not going to open this door for 10 minutes. Which one are you going to pick? I would pick, I would pick Rick simply because I think Rick after about three to five minutes would actually have some mercy. Oh, look, here comes the hometown Scott, boy. I don't think Scott would. I think Scott would pick you apart all the way up until nine minutes and nine and 59 seconds. Thanks to Scott Steiner. Green. Green out of there. Oh, Kevin, Green. Kevin Green with the Halliburton. And the Halliburton's in the ring, but of course, Mark Curtis is going to just ignore that. But let's remind everybody, Kevin Green, we know now a Hall of Fame talent, unfortunately, no longer with us. Uh, but an NFL hall of famer, multi-time pro bowler, just a badass, but also, uh, one of the biggest, if not the biggest star on the Carolina Panthers at the time. So for him to be sliding in the ring here in North Carolina is a, is an awfully cool thing. And of course, Mongo and Kevin green have that football commonality. So he just came off by the way, he being Mongo, one of the worst matches in wrestling history. And I promised Tony Schiavone the next time I saw you that I would punch you square in the balls. Uh, because you allowed Mongo and Reggie white to have 15 minutes on the show, <laughs> 15 minutes, like Ooh. a Reggie white, 15 minute match. What are we thinking? By the way, you saw there, we're, we're going to be preempted next week too. So nitro is going to start way, way early. Um, you know, oh, and it's going to be daylight Conrad because it's daylight savings time. It's the springtime. It gets lighter earlier and stays lighter later. So I'll throw that in there. Fair enough. 
Fair enough. Well, I here, didn't yell it. I whispered it. Yeah, it was daytime, Eric. It turns out it was daytime. Uh, May 19th, 1997 were preempted, but for what? Well, it's the NBA conference finals and we've got the Miami heat challenging the Chicago bulls. The bulls would win that game. 84 to 77. Dennis Rodman, uh, scored 19 rebounds, one assist and four points. Uh, Michael Jordan had nine rebounds, three assists and 37 points. Scotty Pippen, four rebounds, four assists, 24 points. This is the heyday of these bulls, man. When Jordan came back. They were so fun to watch. And of course, what do you know? Dennis Rodman already been a part of WCW earlier in the year for uncensored. And that summer is going to be a big part of what you guys are doing. Yeah. What a fun time. I, you know, I've never really been a basketball and NBA fan. Um, I'm, you know, like a passive viewer, casual viewer where, you know, once it gets to be the playoffs, which we're in, you know, right now I get interested because I love watching competition, no matter what type of competition it is. Um, but man, what a, for me, at least, I think one of the best periods of, of NBA action, you know, the bulls were even for a guy like me, it was just a casual basketball fan. I, I didn't want to ever miss a bulls game. It was what a phenomenal time uh, in Chicago. So we've got six out to the ring. This is going to be our main event. Here comes the nature boy and his pink robe that he wore the night before that uh, a lot of our listeners have a piece of now, Eric, that robe was cut up by 2k a few years ago for the Ric Flair edition of the video game. And now a whole lot of fans, uh, maybe a thousand or more can say that they own a piece of, uh, one of Ric Flair's robes. How about that? That's a pretty, pretty cool idea. We should, we should, uh, we should hijack that idea. It was my idea, Eric. I can't, that was my robe. Oh, <laughs> 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 Well, you're brilliant, dude. <laughs> By the way, I want to mention, uh, the, the, uh, April 28th raw, uh, did a 2.7. You guys did a 3.44 a week later on May 5th. Uh, you did a, a 3.44 again. They did a 2.58 on May 12th. You do a 2.83 rating and raw got a 3.2. So I know what you're thinking. Wait, they beat us. No, this, this show was starting at 7 p.m. Eastern next week. It's going to start five minutes earlier, 655 Eastern. You know, that really does have to annoy you. And it's written in the newsletters at the time that, Hey man, if I'm going to be preempted, you know, or if you're going to ask me to start this second show talking about what would become thunder, it was written that you wanted a time slot that would not be preempted. And that is just going to be nearly impossible for TBS. Is it not? Yeah, that was always a challenge. And, you know, looking back at it now, I don't know why it bothered me as much as I it did. I think probably because I was competitive and I didn't want to take a step backwards, as we obviously did. But, you know, 7 o'clock Eastern is uh, 4 o'clock on the Pacific yep. Coast, you know. And AEW just got, you know, kicked in the teeth with the same situation. But, you know, when you're on a network that's got, you know, NHL or in this case NBA – um, I think TNT even had football for a while. I'm not sure, you know, you're going to get bounced around because sports is always going to, you know, the sports schedule is always going to take priority over regular programming, whatever that regular programming is. And no matter how well it's doing, you just got to kind of live with it. Look at Kevin Nash here. Of course, the match only went 57 seconds before Hall and Nash ran in 
It's three on one and Kevin Nash is going to power bomb Ric Flair right in the middle of the ring. Six is, uh, laying waste to the referees who are trying to come in and stop this three on one beat down. Pee Wee Anderson gets uh knocked down for his trouble too. Have you seen, uh, Kevin Nash recently, like an Instagram or social media pictures, you see him because he's in the gym a lot. He works out. He looks so much better today, 25 years later, whatever this was, than he did back then. It's a Kevin is doing a great job keep, keeping himself in shape. Let's let's track it here. You said last night was your finest moment. Well, what's tonight, Rick? Huh? It's no longer about anything except putting Ric Flair out of business, putting Piper out of business. Piper, you better be strapped sitting up there on that mountain because we're going to bum rush you, old man. Hey, Uh-oh. yo. Hey, Flair. Look at you now. Hey. Hey, Kev. Call the Smithsonian, tell him we got one half of that dinosaur exhibit they were looking for. Shut his mic off. Piper will be sending him that second half of it real soon. Jurassic Dream Team. Everybody knows when you're wolf pack, you're wolf pack for life. And when you're NWO, yeah. everybody knows you're just too I mean, I know it's because we have an hour long show, but I would have liked to have seen more of Flair and Waltman. That could have been a fun match. It would have been a fun match. Waltman, yeah. He can still go for crying out loud. Talk about a guy that's in great shape. Waltman is really, really working hard to stay in shape. He just recently, I think he tore a bicep, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he just had surgery, I think, last week or week before last. And that sucks. I mean, a bicep tear is, I've never had one, so I'm not speaking from personal experience, but that's. It's a brutal one to rehab and recover from. It takes a long time. So I wish uh, Mr. Waltman the best. Meltzer would say it was a very anti-NWO crowd, perhaps the most vocal anti-NWO and pro-Flair crowd for a Nitro since the NWO started. Of course, that makes sense because we're here in the Carolinas. By the way, on this particular show, Nitro, even with it being one hour and way early, did a 3.1 rating and a 6.08 share. Raw did a 3.6 and a 5.36 share. Both numbers were great in that each show in its highest rating of the last month, the nitro replay did a 1.6. And of course the shows would be back head to head on May 26th with uh, TNT's Monday night NBA coverage finished up on this particular night. So it's kind of a cool deal that man, even when you're preempted and you're way early and you're only an hour, you still do a 3.1, not a bad day at the office. Yeah, 3.1, roughly about four and a half million people. So, yeah, at 4 o'clock Pacific time, didn't suck. Didn't suck. Let's take a listen to what you're going to say here because you're going to be trying your best to get some heat, and I think you get your comeuppance after we go off the air. Let's see. Don't compare him to Bischoff. (laughs) Well, here he goes. I love you people. Each and every one of you. Especially you guys. You know, 
last week. And, and what about six in Hall of Nash? Are they too much or what? You don't want to make them mad. Trust me, I know. You know, last week in Baltimore, I had something I want, wanted to say to Sting. In fact, I wanted to talk to Sting so badly, I've called his home. I've left messages at the gym where he used to work, work out. We even hired a private detective agency to try to find him and keep track of him so that I could invite him here to Ash... Stop it! So I could invite him here to Asheville to say this to his face. But we can't find him. We look there, he's not there. He's not in the locker room, he's not in Asheville. And you know why? Because he's a coward. Oh, for crying out loud. He's a gutless, spineless coward. This is a joke. And everybody's talking about his, he's so consumed with his hatred for Hollywood Hogan. Well, listen, Sting, wherever you may be hiding, you will never get in the ring with Hollywood Hogan. And you know why? Because I love you, Sting. And because you are not worth a drop of Hollywood's perspiration. You should worship the ground that he spits on. It ain't happening. Give it up, Sting. I know you people feel the same way I feel. I feel your love for Hollywood. And by the way, Sting, I wish you were here tonight because I would take the opportunity to slap the paint right off of your face. Well, yeah, you know, oh. I, <laughs> I forgot about this. Oh, this is so funny. Scorpion death drop from Sting, who just burst through the canvas from underneath the ring, walked up behind Eric, dropped him. Hogan's not going to like this. Who cares what Hogan likes? And looked straight into the camera. This is a great part about being an old head, Conrad. You get to go back. And watch things you absolutely forgot about and enjoy them just as much now as I did then. Probably more because I don't have to take that bump. <laughs> well, I was going to say, uh, after all you've said, I bet somewhere sometime soon, uh, Sting's going to drop you on your head just like that one more time. Of course, after you went off the air, Sting did stuff you back down the hole. We're going to send Asheville home happy. Man, I know it was a short and sweet show. But that was a fun episode of Nitro. I, I, I still got a bunch of other stuff I want to talk about before we wrap this episode up. But what did you think, man? I mean, that was quick and to the point, but it, it left me wanting more. So mission accomplished. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to be said for a one hour format. You know what I mean? You can, you can get a lot of action in, you can advance story. 
And it's a lot easier to keep people enthusiastic and excited in a one hour show than it is in a two hour show, or in some cases, a three hour show. So this was a great example of how much fun a one hour show could be. And believe me, they were a lot more fun to produce too. A lot more fun. Uh, Meltzer would say the rumor and innuendo is there's a lot of talk of doing sting and Hogan at the end of June in Los Angeles. It was like a big money match, uh, because it was going to be running against the WWF in, cro- in close proximity. And I think you guys actually did like a, an internet simulcast of that. Maybe Mark Madden was on the call. If I remember right. Um, this is an interesting concept of, Hey, they haven't touched, but every now and again, maybe it makes sense for us to do something that's not on TV. That's live. Uh, what do you remember thinking of that idea originally? Gosh, I don't remember it to be honest with you, Conrad. Um, I, I just don't. I don't remember it, unfortunately. June 28th, 1997, Englewood, California, the Great Western Forum. We had 11,000 fans there. Uh, it's going to wind up being Juventud Guerrera, Damian, and Super Calo taking on Conan, La Parca, and Viano number four. Ultimo Dragon is going to hook up with Psychosis. Uh, Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko are going to tear it up. Rick and Scott Steiner are going to take on Masahiro Chono and Buff Bagwell. Six is going to be in there with Rey Mysterio. Uh, Chris Jericho is actually going to turn around and beat six to win the cruiserweight title. Piper will be working with flair. DDP is working with Randy Savage. Lex and the giant are going to be working with, uh, Hall and Nash. And at some point Hulk Hogan interferes and sting comes down from the rafters, man, this is not a television show. This is just a live event that we're going to simulcast the audio from and call it WCW Saturday nitro. It's at least a fun idea, is it not? Yeah, fun idea. I don't, I don't recall how well it did or didn't do, but it was a, it was a great idea. And man, what a, what a great card for a live event! Holy smokes, outstanding. Uh, I, I did want to talk about something that we teased at the top when we we talked about how Regal effectively squashed IKEA, a change in the booking committee. Here's what happened on uh, the Nitro prior. So May twelfth, you're going to have a little speech to all the boys where you announced that Kevin Sullivan's taking a hiatus as Booker. It's going to be four to eight weeks due to burnout and all the pressure of the job and some outside personal pressures as well. And Bischoff emphasized that Sullivan wasn't being replaced. Although naturally that denial started all kinds of rumors that he was, and he wanted to come back fresh and was very adamant about how all the backstage dissension stories being public in the sheets are hurting the company quote. They should worry about the backstage dissension and Booker's plans constantly being ignored, winding up in angles, not making sense before worrying about people reporting on it to a microcosm of the audience. But this is the wrestling industry we're talking about. Um, is this unfortunately when we're on the heels, I believe of Kevin Sullivan having a medical event backstage. It's more about that, maybe less about him and Benoit, or do you think they all just sort of bleed together? There was more than one issue kind of happening simultaneously. Um, that's a good conversation to have with, with Kevin Sullivan. It's a personal thing, not my place to discuss it, but there were multiple issues going on. And the stress was a real part of it. I mean, there was, it's hard for people to understand, and I know to some who've never produced live television never been near the kind of pressure or the pace of the treadmill that we were on at that time um, to accept it or identify with it or even believe it. I get it. But 
97 is fantastic as it was in so many respects that you could measure financially and every other way. Um, it was tough. And then when you throw in personal challenges and some bad habits on top of it, nobody can, no, nobody can, uh, nobody can survive that for very, very long. And Kevin needed a break. I'll let it go at that. Let's talk about Rob Van Dam. Uh, he's all over, uh, the news in this era. Um, and, and there's a lot of discussion that you've been in conversation with him. Maybe not you personally, but WCW. And of course, Raven is going to be one of the other names that comes over quote. The belief is that because of the money figures and because he was welcomed into the company by diamond Dallas page, Eric Bischoff and Kevin Nash, that he being Raven, uh, will politically be protected and not used in the manner that a lot of the talented wrestlers are used basically being TV cannon fodder to get over the protected group. WCW wanted him to start on the July pay-per-view in Daytona beach, but his ECW contract prohibits him from appearing on a rival pay-per-view until October 13th. Heyman is attempting to work out a deal with Bischoff where ECW would get some compensation from WCW for using the extreme team in Philadelphia, using Kimona's name in Philadelphia and letting Raven out of his contract ahead of time. So let's talk about this because we know that you're going to make a lot of ECW acquisitions in 97. Do you remember any of the particulars about this deal with Raven or any of the preliminary conversations with Rob Van Dam that wound up not working out? You know, I, I don't know that I spoke directly to Rob. I may have, cause I, I spoke to Rob Van Dam on and off several times over the course of a, several years. Right. So perhaps that report was accurate. Um, I'll, I'll assume that it is for this conversation. Um, and there were, there was one time in particular, and this might've been it when Heyman and I actually met in Florida, I think it was Orlando could be wrong. And we sat down, had dinner and tried to figure out a way to manage some of this because there were talent that wanted to come to WCW and Heyman was really good. You know, I think Heyman knew, um, that WCW was very, uh, they're not, they weren't litigious at all. They wanted to avoid legal issues at all costs. And Heyman knew that. And I think he did a good job of exploiting it for his benefit, uh, enforce these kinds of concessions and negotiations that are being described here or, or suggested here. So I, I'll, I'll, again, I, I think that this was probably the case for Heyman and I sat down and said, okay, there's a lot of this stuff going on. I knew WCW didn't want to get into litigation, but yet we also still wanted to move forward. So Paul and I sat down, had dinner and, and tried to make something work. I, I don't remember how it worked or what the outcome was, but that's probably what Dave's reporting on. Let's do some questions here. Michael McClanahan says this show was reduced to one hour as a result of the NBA playoffs. Were there any unintended consequences of these events beyond having to move time slots? Were there any challenges booking and running events during this time of the year? Uh, the only real challenge, that's a great question. The only really real challenge was getting people to the arena. You know, when you start at seven o'clock, even Eastern, um, folks are still getting home from work. You know, it's, it's a little tougher to get people to the arena earlier in the day like that. So that would have been about the only challenge. Here's one from Matt Godfrey. Uh, Eric, how would you have booked sting in his WWE and AEW runs? 
Um, well, that's tougher to answer because I don't know where Sting's head was at, you know, in WWE. I don't know how comfortable Sting really was. I get the impression, Steve and I have never talked about it. Um, my impression, having known Steve for 30 some odd years, not quite that long, but close. Um, Steve Borden, the person, has to be really comfortable in the environment, this situation, in order for him to be 100% as the character Sting. I don't know how comfortable Steve Borden really was going into WWE. I wasn't around him at the time. I don't know how prepared he was. I don't know what his goals were. So it's hard for me to comment on WWE and what I would have done. Because if a guy's head isn't in the game, there's only so much you can do with him. And I'm talking about anybody, anybody. But Steve in particular, I just, in my years working with Steve, if head, if his head, and I'm not talking about, yeah, I'm talking about just being enthused and excited. That's all I'm referring to here. And Steve was always cautious, right? You'd lay something out to him and he didn't readily grasp it and go, oh, wow, that'd be great. He wasn't that guy. He was very analytical in his approach and very careful and deliberate in the way he went about business. So if, it, if the WWE thing, which I think it probably could have been thrust upon him and happened quickly, my guess is he just wasn't, he hadn't had it wrapped his head around it yet. And I don't know how physically he prepared he was. You know, you get a phone call, hey, you, you want, want to get inducted in the Hall of Fame and you want to have a match with Triple H main event. And that call comes to you 45 days ahead of time. That ain't a lot of time to get ready. And I don't know. So I, I, I want to leave that one alone. The only thing I'll suggest is I doubt that Steve Borden was 100% ready to jump in and take advantage of the opportunity that was presented to him. Leave it at that. I don't think they did the the world's best job. I mean, why not? I don't know. I don't know that I would have presented him the same way WWE did. I do, and I know that, you know, just because everything we've talked about, you're going to disagree with this, but I kind of like what AEW has done. They've used him no, to help establish gonna, was, no, new talent. Uh, I absolutely agree with you. I was just going to say, I was going to finish up the point. There was yeah. two questions there. Um, I think AEW, I don't think you could do a better job than AEW has done with Steve. Yeah, I agree. I just don't think he can. And and I, th- I'm guessing again, haven't talked to Steve Borden about it, but pretty sure he'd say the same thing enthusiastically. Uh, Greg Armstrong wants to know from a TV aspect, how did the creative process change when you only had one hour? Uh, not sure if you were head to head with raw in the first or last hour of raw, neither. Uh, but overall, how did you structure the show differently? Were there advantages or disadvantages? Uh, that's, you know, uh, one hour could be a blessing and a curse, right? Cause you do, it does leave you wanting more, but you, you, you've got a whole big old roster and that means, well, not everybody can be featured. Thankfully, this was just a, a rare occurrence. It wasn't something that was happening every week. And I, I, <laughs> I always embraced a one hour show over yeah. a two or a three hour show, you know, and not because it was, well, it was easier. It was just easier. Um, two hours is a challenge, man, to keep the audience's attention again, uh, back in the day. Cause I'm an old head. When you produce television, any kind of television, any kind of television, your goal is to build your audience 
over the quarter hours and, and to leave what's coming up next in a good position, right? And that's a lot harder to do in a two-hour show than it is in a one-hour show. It's a lot easier to keep the audience's attention and build and increase your quarter hours over the course of you know one hour than it is over two hours. So nothing changed. If you look at the format, we did everything the same. We just did less of it and it was quicker and it moved faster. You know, this show felt like it moved in you know a minute. Yeah. It was 20 minutes um, and it was over. And ideally that's what you want to do when you produce television, you want fast television Yeah, that builds audience. And, and in this case, it was, it was a lot easier. Yeah. I, uh, I totally agree. And this was a fun show. Um, Here's one I, I should mention to everybody. Check out our new old head shirts over at adfreecares.com. <laughs> Eric loves that word, so we might as well slap it on a shirt. We don't talk about it enough, Eric, but I want to remind everybody, when you go to adfreecares.com, you'll see all of our podcast shirts that we have here, not just for mine and Eric's show, but all of my other shows. Uh, and we're giving away 100% of the proceeds directly to St. Jude's. Uh, so that children's hospital gets every nickel. Eric gets no dollars. I get no dollars. 100% of the profit goes directly to St. Jude's, not a portion of the profits, every bit of it. We've also made the shirts very, very affordable. I think they're some of the cheapest shirts you could find at prowrestlingtees.com. Uh, least expensive. There you go. The least expensive. My apologies. 17 bucks and change is going to get you uh, a pretty cool design to sort of support the show and spread the word about the show. But 100% of that support goes directly to St. Jude. So check it out, adfreecares.com. Uh, Denovius Mack wants to know, did you ever consider putting Jeff Jarrett in the NWO? Of course, we know he's going to wind up being a part of the silver and black. But in this era, maybe defect from the horseman and join the NWO. You tried it with Kurt. Was Jeff ever considered? Nope. Thank goodness. Yambag Bad Jones. Casting. Bad casting. Totally agree. Hope you're listening, Jeff. Uh, what hurt, what hurt more to take the scorpion death drop or the scorpion death lock? Death drop was weird. Neither one of them hurt, but it, you know, having not being able to see the ground, you know, just, you're totally giving up, you know, you're, you're not, you're not in control of anything. Um, neither one of them hurt, but that one was the most unnerving one for me to take. It's even worse than a power bomb. Powerbomb, you know, Kevin Nash powerbombing me off the stage wasn't as unnerving as the Scorpion Death Drop. Now, after I took it a couple times, then you just, you know, you could just let go and not think about it. But the first time, I think that might have been it. The first time was like really, really weird. Really weird. Interesting high-level TV question here. Mr. Lopez wants to know, perhaps this is more of a strictly business type question, which by the way is Eric's show over at adfreeshows.com where he just talks about the business of the business. Anyway, uh, Mr. Lopez continues, how was the advertising inventory handled in situations where Nitro was cut due to TNT programming? Were there make goods without a normal two or three hour show? Great question. Um, a lot of the commercials, and again, again I, I, I can't answer that with any specificity because I wasn't involved in that process. All of our ad sales were handled by Turner ad sales out of New York. And there was very little communication. In fact, almost none between me or anybody in my office and ad sales. They almost operated like an independent company. Well, they were, but, um, 
as time went on and Valvoline, for example, was more of an in-house. Slim Jim was an in-house. Those were all product integrations or in-show integrations. Those were a little bit different. Oftentimes, especially in early Nitro, the ads that you saw in Nitro were make goods. Meaning, in, let's explain what a make good is. I'll do, uh, to the best of my ability, because I, again, I wasn't involved in that process. But if Turner Broadcasting, for example, sold, um, I'm just going to pick up, pick an advertiser, Arby's, okay, a flight, a schedule um, for a month or for, for two months, we'll just say two months, and guaranteed them a certain amount of eyeballs per dollar called the CPM cost per thousand. So for every thousand viewers, here's what it's going to cost you, Mr. Advertiser. Well, Turner would guarantee that. Now, over the course of the first three or four weeks of that schedule, if for whatever reason, the advertisements within the shows that the ad was placed originally weren't delivering on the guarantee, then Turner would place that same ad in other shows, even though the advertiser didn't buy Nitro, for example, maybe they bought something else on, on the Turner schedule, but in order to guarantee the CPMs, they would then use Nitro as the way to achieve their guarantees. So the advertiser wasn't really buying Nitro. We were simply there servicing an advertiser that didn't really care whether they were on our show or not. In fact, most often they were preferred not to be on our show, but the eyeballs worked, the, 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 the guarantee worked. So many of the ads that you see, that's why now when people say, well, well, you know, how come you don't watch wrestling like a wrestling fan anymore? Because I'm too busy watching other shit. Like I'll watch WWE, for example, and I can tell not, not with any degree of certainty because I'm not in the industry but you can look at ads and know whether those are high CPM ads, meaning valuable advertising, or whether they're mid-tier or they're low-hanging fruit, you know, opportunistic ad buys, for example. Candy bar. Candy's a good example. M&M Mars back in the day, they didn't care what television show their shows were on. They didn't care who was watching it. They didn't care what the demos were. All they wanted was mass eyeballs. So you, you could get M&M Mars or candy, if you will, um, as an advertiser in your show, because they didn't really care. If you're, and that, that was true. I learned that first in the AWA. M&M Mars was one of AWA's consistent sponsors because they didn't care that it was wrestling. But as you go up the food chain in the world of advertising and you start looking at Chrysler or Miller Beer or other types of products where they spend a lot of money on advertising consistently week in and week out, year in and year out, they were more demanding. They wanted more specificity in terms of demographics and the type of program that, that they're in. And you can often watch shows and know whether they're, they're just there to fulfill CPM obligations or whether the advertisers are actually buying that show. And that's a good indication as to how that show is doing for the network. If your show is simply there to help fulfill CPM and, and guarantees to advertisers, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but it's not a great thing because people aren't buying your show. But as time goes on and advertisers start going, wow, 
I, I really like this show. I like this audience. It's really delivering for me. Then you become one of those shows that advertisers want to be associated with. Therein lies the magic of television and, and advertising and wrestling in particular. It's true for all shows, by the way. Don't get me wrong. Uh, look at golf. Here's a really good example. I know this should be a strictly business type of conversation, but John Alba that drops every week over at EveryShows.com. If you don't subscribe, you should because you walk away a much more enlightened individual when it comes to the world of television in general and wrestling in particular. But you look at golf, for example. How many people watch golf? Not many. But they get some of the highest CPMs in television. Why? Because the demographics of that particular audience suggest that many of them are, number one, you're, you're a golfer, which is an expensive hobby. Number two, you're probably driving a really nice car. You're wearing a really great watch. You're doing all the things that people that are very affluent do. Generally speaking, not all the time. So save your social media heat for somebody else. I'm giving you a generalization here. Not you, Conrad, because I know you know more about this stuff than I do, actually. But as it relates to wrestling, oftentimes you get the low-hanging fruit, the opportunistic buys versus, you know, the, the upper tier or premium ad dollars. And you can watch shows and tell, not just wrestling, but you can watch a lot of shows and tell by the quality of the advertisers and who those advertisers are targeting, whether or not that show is really successful for a network or whether it's just there fulfilling, make good obligations. Well, I got a question, uh, from Rajiv here that I think you're going to have fun with. This is the famous episode where six slaps Rick and there ends up being legitimate heat for it. Eric, what'd you think of the slap in the moment? Do you remember anything from Rick at the time indicating that he was pissed off? It, it, that could have been true. I, I, I don't remember if it was or not. It was a, it was a minute or two ago. I, I don't remember. I could look if Rick didn't know it was coming. If they hadn't discussed it. Yeah. You'd be freaking hot. That's something you'd improvise in, in, in a, in a, in an interview setting in the ring. It wouldn't have mattered because you're expecting it. But I, beyond that comment, I, I, I really can't comment anymore because I just don't remember it. That's a good question. I'm sorry. I don't remember. Rajiv. And next week we're going to be taking a look at Starcade or not Starcade, uh, but Slamboree 1993 Slamboree 1993 is uh well interesting check this card out two cold scorpio and marcus bagwell take on bobby eaton and chris benoit in 93 sid vicious takes on van hammer that's a real thing dick murdoch don morocco jimmy snooker uh, they're all going to be on one side taking on blackjack mulligan wahoo mcdaniel and jim brunzel then we've got thunderbolt patterson taking on brad armstrong or he's teaming with brad armstrong to take on ivan koloff and baron von raschke then we've got a 15 minute time limit match with Nick Bockwinkle, who has Vern Gagne in his corner, taking on Dory Funk Jr., who has Gene Kaniski in his corner. Then we've got Rick Rude and Paul Orndorff teaming up to take on Dustin Rhodes and Kensuke Sasaki. Sting will be taking on the prisoner, and you're probably thinking, who's the prisoner? You know him as Nails. Uh, the Hollywood Blondes are back together again. It's Brian Pillman and Steve Austin taking on Dos Hombres, which here. Are Ricky Steamboat and Tom Zink in a steel cage for the tag team championship. Barry Windham will defend the NWA world title against Arn Anderson and what I believe is Arn Anderson's only ever NWA world title shot. And then in our main event for the WCW world title, Davey Boy Smith will be challenging Big Van Vader. This is an interesting time, an interesting concept. I can't wait to break it down in long form. And of course, we'll bust Eric's balls along the way. 
And I'll be doing that this weekend in Oshkosh. Eric, I've never been to Wisconsin, not one day in my life. And, uh, it's not going to be the easiest trip for me to get there. I'm going to have to be on four planes, but I'm going to make it happen. And we're going to be there in Oshkosh. Going to have a lot of fun. Uh, you and I are going to be there this Friday night, May 20th in Oshkosh. Pick up your tickets right now. ACWWisconsin.com. That's ACW Wisconsin. We sure hope to see you, uh, in Oshkosh at the time community theater. It's an exclusive live 83 week show. So we're going to tell you a whole bunch of stories that you can't hear here on the podcast. And then the next night on May 21st, we've got the ACW water city wrestling con. Eric Bischoff will be there. Malachi black, Dan Housen, the Godfather, and so many more tickets for both events are on sale. Now, Eric at acwwisconsin.com. That's ACW Wisconsin. What should I expect from Wisconsin, dude? Well, let, let me ask you, Conrad, um, you know, I, I visited you and, and Megan and Huntsville and, and your mom and your dad, and you've been so kind on those visits to take me around and show you, show me, for example, your favorite fried chicken place. Yeah. Right. Yep. And some great fried chicken. I dug it. It's that, that little, uh, diamond in the rough, you know, in every state, every city has them. Yes. So let me ask you. How do you feel about cheese curds? I, uh, I've never had one and I'll be honest. I'm not really excited to try one, but I think I'm legally obligated when I'm in Wisconsin. Am I not? You have to, okay. or you will not be able to leave the state. Got it. I expect so, that. We're, we're going to get into some cheese curds. Let me, and I'm sure you've had bratwurst. Haven't you? I have. Yes. Okay. Well, you go to a state. I love Wisconsin. I am so looking forward to this. It's a week before my birthday, so we're going to have a pre-birthday celebration, and I'm going to I'm going to be wearing probably wearing my old head T-shirt that's available available at Pro Wrestling Tees, and we're going to have a blast. And when it's over, we're all going to go out, and we're going to have cheese curds and bratwurst, which, by the way, is a perfect perfect meal to be enjoyed copious amounts of ice cold beer, which is another absolute must do in the state of Wisconsin. You cannot go to Wisconsin without drinking beer, having cheese curds and a brat. I love it. You've hyped it up enough. I'm into it now. And I want to mention, I can't believe I just put this together, but here's a little piece of trivia for you. Did you know that your birthday will be on the same day that my daughter graduates high school and Charlotte flair gets married? There's a lot going on on your birthday this year. As there should be. <laughs> it's a celebration. We'll get the party started next week. A little late, if you will, uh, be sure to make plans to join us. We're going to talk about an interesting card, an interesting concept. I can't wait to talk about Slamboree 93. We're doing it next week right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.